Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk USA. Are you tired of waiting for change? Tune into Blog Talk USA. Let your voice be heard on Blog Talk USA. lived in the in in America really but in particularly in the East Texas area knows that Dr. Samuel Houston was a renowned surgeon in our community and his wife uh, Dr. Edna Houston was the anesthesiologist they were an amazing team in uh, this nation and he too was a veteran a retired a colonel uh, from the United States Army. He was a flight surgeon. And so we thank him for all the great work that he has done in our community and everywhere. Dr. Richard Hagney knows exactly who he is. Uh, many people know who he is because he has operated on some veterans down to this community, and he was responsible for bringing many uh, other uh, African-American physicians uh, to the Tyler area. So we just pause right now to say to that family, thank you for sharing uh, Dr. Samuel Houston with us, uh, that legacy that he left. We're going to miss him. We're going to miss his mild uh, personality, his mild behavior, uh, his shrewd uh, abilities uh, with the scalpel and the uh, surgery surgery suites uh, all throughout East Texas, and I can remember when Bethesda uh, Healthcare opened up, Dr. Samuel Houston was the very first physician uh, to begin volunteering his services uh, there at Bethesda. Bethesda is a clinic here in Tyler where low-income or no-income clients can go and Nurses and physicians volunteer their services there. So we pause and say thank you, Dr. Houston. We just finished his memorial. His funeral service was this morning at 10 o'clock in a private service, and then tonight was open to the public, and there were so many beautiful, beautiful words said about Dr. Houston. Uh, the physician spoke so well, Dr. Kirk Calhoun, who is actually the president of uh, the University of Texas uh, Health Science Center and the university here in Tyler, and um, who is working on our medical school here. And I'm so honored to actually be able to serve on the board, and we're working right now to select uh, the person who actually is going to be running that medical school. We have 25, actually 25 candidates that we have to screen. And um, But at any rate, we just wanted to pause and take this moment uh, to say how much we're going to miss 
Dr. Summit, he said he lived a, a long, fruitful life. He lived about 86 years. So, um, so we thank him for that. So now we're ready to get going uh, here tonight on Marvelous Monday. Let's see if our team is here. Uh, first, Dr. Hagney, are you there? Pastor Cooper, are you there? I don't know where that team is tonight. Uh, they may be like me. They're running a little bit behind. Uh, Ms. Mm-hmm. John is going to be a minute. To, oh, there he is. I hear him. How are you doing, Dr. Hagney? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. Very, very good. Let's see who else is here, and then we'll we'll kick off with uh, Dr. Hagney doing his uh, updates on COVID-19. And we have a very, very special guest that's going to be on with us tonight, uh, and uh, Ms. Renee Witherspoon from out of Dallas, Texas. And so we'll get her herself a little bit later on. Uh, Mr. Arthur, are you there? How are you all doing tonight? How are you doing? Okay, Mr. Arthur, you're coming in loud and clearly, and that's outstanding. I'm excited to hear about it. Uh, I don't know if you knew Dr. Samuel Houston or not. He's your fraternity brother, but I'm not sure if you uh, if you knew him. Do you or did you? Are you familiar? Uh, now, now, okay, you talking about a, a, a surgeon, right? Surgeon. Yeah. Surgeon. Mhm. Mhm. He was a flight surgeon. I've heard. I've heard of him. Yeah, 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 well, I, yeah. I, I, I can't remember meeting. I, 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 I may have met him and didn't know it. Didn't and know didn't realize, right, right. Yeah, because you know, because you know how humble we alphas are. You know, we don't be bragging and stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, well, he, he, well, he, I, as a matter of fact, he was probably one of the most humble alphas I know. <laughs> but he was a humble man. Yes, he was. So, uh, what about Pastor Cooper? Are you there, Pastor Cooper? Cooper. Okay, well, we're going to get going. Uh, uh, Dr. Hagney, if you would unmute and then come on in and, and bring us up to date on what is going on with COVID-19. And then I'll piggyback on the little that I know, and then we'll we'll get ready to start, get into the meat of the show. Dr. Hagney? Yeah, very good. Hear me? Yes, sir. We hear you really good. Okay. Very good. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's been an honor to uh, start this talking about the uh, the vaccine and uh, and seeing what's going on. But you know, uh, the, uh, the vaccine is consistent. Uh, when you look at it, see what it's doing with this uh, this Delta variant. Uh, it is proven to be uh, an amazing uh, uh, virus for this Delta, and it's basically we are really actually behind this Delta virus now. What we're seeing, and I would say one of the most uh, documenting what we expected was his impact upon you, uh, the state, uh, the national court there, also over something like 240,000 new young kids. And that's a, that's a frightening part about that. But we knew this, but it's, what's so frightening about that is uh, as we go into the schools, as you know, throughout East Texas, there are numerous school districts that are closing, all closing uh, the weekend. And so, again, uh, uh, what shows is the significant uh, um, of the vaccine, how everybody needs to be in, uh, vaccinated. Uh, so uh, that's, that's our major defense there. And what we have to do is continue getting the, the vaccination going. But one of the reports I was going to talk about is the, uh, uh, we knew all along how the uh, reports were demographically. Uh, there are some recent reports about uh, Medicaid vaccination rates. There is a need to actually for that to be up-to-date, complete by demographics, because that's going to help us target the individuals who still need uh, vaccinations. 
but apparently across the country in some of these states, uh, the vaccination rate in the Medicaid population is really down. I, I would say it's down, just not being reported. As Ms. Jenna Eubanks from the Texas Association of Community Health Center said, well, we need to know, we need everybody to report uh, the demographics of the uh, of the of the vaccine uh, of the, of the uh, Medicaid reports because that would help us target the areas. And uh, as you well know, the, the major areas are the minority areas, which represented highly by the, the uh, uh, Medicaid uh, group. So it's very important that these reports statewide be made uh, broken down, so we know we know exactly what's going on in the Medicaid population. And uh, so that's what I would say. But we know the this virus is consistent. Uh, the, the vaccines are we need to I'm, I began to see some improvement that in some of the uh, particular rural areas called college here in East Texas, where parents are really stepping up, helping with the uh, vaccination of the children. But we need we need more uh, to occur because, as you will know, Friday night football and in, in, in Texas high school football is enormous in these games and and the mass at these games and everything. So it's really sort of frightening, but. But we just say that the virus is consistent. It's doing what we expect it to do, and it's expanding the call to um, uh, unvaccinated population. I would like to say uh, that our population is beginning to step up. I mean, uh, rural communities of color. Uh, you know, if we are being blamed for this, we need to be able to look at what we need to do. And what's so important, I want to say, the role of the black churches. As we have posted up some like four clinics here in East Texas, we're looking for others. But that success is based upon the black church. I cannot tell enough the role of the black church and the black pastors are playing for assisting us in reaching the communities of color. And we're going to need that. We're going to need that continuing uh, So we're looking for some other sites. But uh, this Delta virus has proven to be what we all expected to say it's going to be. But we need, we need to get the vaccination into them um, uh, in particular. And also families who have their kids on them. Uh, the 12, that's important. And another thing, the discussion about the, boot, the booster, the booster basically indicating that we begin to see like early uh, Israel data showing that the length of uh, waning immunity to the, uh, uh, the vaccine. So it looks like we'll probably have approval, possibly uh, the booster somewhere after the week of the 20th. But some of the research is a concern to make sure we need to uh, get the vaccinated, vaccinated, because what we're going to have after the 20th, Probably two or three groups, or a group that's not vaccinated, a group that's vaccinated, and the immune suppressed population, and then a group that need the booster. So it's going to be very interesting after 20. But we'll see an increase in some in the road as we get out into these communities. So, but uh, I would say, as we know, do you pray for the healthcare Louisiana and all those areas, the hospital full of COVID and everything. So we need to. Uh, to start uh, vaccinating uh, the veterans. So they're, they're really pushing that, that booster. And a lot of people were asking, uh, Dr. Hagney, well, why do I need a booster? And I guess they've kind of forgotten 
that we this is not the first time boosters have been talked about. Uh, boosters mm-hmm. have been given forever and ever. But mm-hmm. booster, it just means that it's helping to abuse, boost that immune system to make things even better for us. So thank you so much for that report. I, I want to just add uh, one other thing. I, I, I think I may have mentioned this. I'm not sure if I did. I don't think I did because I think it just happened this past last Thursday. Uh, I was there in the hospital at one of our local hospitals, and I met with with the physicians, five physicians, uh, three social workers, um, three administrators, and one chaplain in regards to uh, what's going on with COVID and the patients there in the hospital. And the report was that every single person in that hospital, every single patient that was in the hospital tested positive for COVID-19. So, we have to really work hard in making sure that that the work that our Northeast Texas Task Force uh, is happening throughout uh, the Texas. Uh, we know that East Texas and Texas, and we know that um, we have this mask mandate that you don't have to wear masks, but we're encouraging people. I was able to, uh, Dr. Hagney and Mr. Arthur, to speak to the Tyler a council of women this morning and the question mm-hmm. at the end the question that they ask me is well how are we going to keep our children safe if they're telling us we don't have to our children don't have to wear a mask and what i said to them is those are your children and your grandchildren and you are the one that's in charge of telling them how you want them to carry themselves. If you want your children to wear a mask, you put a mask on your child when you send them out to school because ultimately that's your child and you're responsible for the for, for their health care and their well-being. If nobody else is going to be responsible at the school, you have to be responsible for your child, and you can decide whether you want your child to wear a mask or not. So, uh, so there's a lot of concerns. Go ahead, Mr. Arthur. Yeah, the edu- let's hear from the educator. Go ahead, Mr. Arthur. And, if and, and this is just a question. I may be doing a soliloquy. I may be doing a soliloquy, but uh, what, at some point, when do we quit speaking to the non-vaccinated like they're five-year-olds? As, I mean, yeah. when do the tone change? And what does it change too? You know, we've been talking to them like they, you know, like they five for the longest. And, yeah. and the more we talk to them like that, the more ignorant they get. So, you know, uh, so at, some, at what point do the tone change? At what point do, uh, you know, do the actual thing change? Like I say, you know, you have the vaccine, they're going out, going to, a, you know, going buying cow medicine. Now, they don't want to take the government medicine. But they're going to take count. We'll see right there, you know, talking to them like they're five-year-olds, that ain't going to work. That ain't going to work. So I like to see the mm-hmm. tone change in the approach to the non-vaccinated because we got a right not to be killed by them. They feel like they got a right to kill us. Well, okay, where's my right mm-hmm. not to be killed? Very good. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Uh, uh, well, let, let me just go ahead, Dr. Hagen. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, uh, the point we've used is, you know, we're talking about death now. When we uh when this is when we were talking about vaccines in general, life in general, I'm making clear to people now, we're talking about life and death, and uh, you know so that's only about family members, family kids, 
uh, uh, wear masks and everything. This this Delta virus is serious. We all have been touched once by someone who who uh, who died, and I think that's the point. And, I, and that's just driving a lot of who I was psychic here. They have now they have a Delta Delta almost on, almost on a daily basis, and I think that a lot of people We're not talking about a vaccine or another drug. We're talking about uh, this Delta virus is actually killing people. And so fighting with and it is not this, this Delta is, is virus is serious. So I think the life of Delta, you make up your mind you want to live, you want to die. So I think we got to get that close, like saying earlier. We just got to be clear with people and let them know because the, the facts are there. Look at the facts. That's what's happening. I was talking to a friend of mine mm-hmm. who, who, has a, who has a food business and I was at Mass Food. And, and, and so, you know, so one of the young men, one of her sons, I was talking to, he says, uh, he said, well, you know, he said, he said, I might as well not got the, you know, got the uh, shot because, you know, for, you know, you can still get COVID after you get the shot. And so, and so I remind him. I say, okay, so, okay, so you rather, I say, so you rather get COVID, go to the hospital, and then, and then be fighting with some little uh, uh, teenage uh, white boy or girl for a ventilator or a bed. So you rather go in there and do that than already have your shot and don't have to go to the. Oh, you know what? I hadn't thought about it like that. I'm saying, mm-hmm. that, you know, we need to That's change good. our approach how we talk to these people because. They ain't understanding. Yes, right. They ain't understanding like that. Last week, week, you you know, right. Last week, we had three nurses. Two had already Mm -hmm. passed away. One was transitioning. And then now that third one had passed away. We had a a physical therapist to pass away. None of them of which, these are medical people that were working in in the system. None of them for which was vaccinated. All four right. of them are gone now. And then, Dr. Hagney, we have, we have in Russ County, we have uh, Leverett's uh, Chapel Independent School District shut down till the 7th. We have Groverton ISD, Kennard ISD, uh, right. Martinville ISD, Murkison mm-hmm. ISD, Wells ISD, West Bethine mm-hmm. ISD, all in East Texas, right? All right, shut right. down simply because they had the massive outbreak in their school district, exactly. and they had to shut the entire school district down. Exactly. What more do we need? How much more can we take? We got we got hurricanes, we got pandemics, we got race, we got so many things. It is unbelievable. But we're going to get back to that. We're going to bring in our guests. We don't want to hold our guests uh, for waiting out there. And uh, her name is Miss Renee Witherspoon. And Miss Witherspoon, are you there? We'd love for you to come in and introduce yourself. And if you're muted, if you unmute, and uh, let's talk about another pandemic that is in the African-American community. Miss Witherspoon, are you there? I am here, Renee Witherspoon. I'm with American Red Cross, and I'm the regional sickle cell account manager, and thank you so much for having me tonight. 
And oh, thank excellent. you so excellent. much for being here. That we have on one of our team members is Dr. Richard Hagney, uh, a pharmacist, and then we have uh, Mr. Arthur Fleming, who is an educator out of the, out of the Dallas area, and Dr. Hagney is in East Texas. And then we have another one that's going to come in a little bit later on if he's not tied up, and that's Pastor um, Michael Cooper. And so, just introduce yourself a little bit more. Tell us a little bit more about what you'd like for us to know in regards to uh, sickle cell anemia. First of all, just go ahead and explain to the audience out there. Many people know what sickle cell is, but there probably are some people out there who do not know. So let's just bring us on up to date on what sickle cell anemia is and how it relates to the African-American community. Go ahead. Yes, yes. Well, first of all, I just wanted to talk about the significance of um, September, which is coming up which is designated as National Sickle Cell Awareness Month. So we're very timely in our time in talking about this. And it's a time when we come and we highlight the unique needs of individuals living with the genetic disease and how the black community specifically can help support these patients through blood donation. Um, Sickle cell disease is when someone's red blood cells, instead of being smooth and round are hard and crescent-shaped, and as a result of that, the blood has difficulty flowing and carrying oxygen to the rest of the body, in which case it can lead to severe pain, tissue damage, organ damage, anemia, and even stroke. Um, Sickle cell disease impacts about 100,000 people in the United States. It's the number one genetic disease in the U.S. And of these 100,000, most of whom are of African descent. Yes, very good. So tell us more. I'm, first of all, how did you get into the position of, uh, of being the person in charge of sickle cell? I know you work for the American Red Cross. Is that correct? You do work for the American Red Cross? I think it, okay. And, but you're, you're based out of Dallas, Texas? Absolutely. However, we okay. serve, we do blood drives as far as Houston, Austin, and we go both east and west. North is we're designated as North Texas. We go all the way to the Oklahoma border. Um, the reason why I have been the sickle cell account manager since January of this year, I've been with the Red Cross. It'll be 24 years in October, and we've always had a diversity arm of our services that we provide. Simply put, we want um, the blood supply to actually reflect the diverse community that we have. So we've always had that. But just like everything else, when COVID hit, we were significantly impacted. And thus, we decided that we want the organization decided that they would um, create a position that is specifically designed to work with the black community in order to educate and bring awareness and to try to work with different organizations. I heard that I think it was um, Mr. Arthur, who is an alpha, and in particular, (laughs) we are trying to work with um, the Divine Nine. We're trying to work with black organizations, black churches, um, um, schools. In fact, when COVID hit, um, schools and colleges, of course, were the first to actually close down. 
and 20% of our collections overall across all demographics come from high schools and colleges. And so simply put, because a significant number of our black donors were coming from that segment, we had to do something to try to find another way to pull in donors. And so, again, we're trying to um, identify groups of individuals that have access to large numbers within the black community, people who are influencers and leaders that can help us to mobilize and galvanize the community and rally them behind this very critical need. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Great. Hey, so have you reached out to the – yes, and speaking of the Divine Nine, we have mm -hmm. a chapter – uh, here in East Texas, I actually serve as the president of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority uh, Incorporated here in Tyler, Texas, a local chapter. So uh, we do, we have a very, very active uh, Divine Nine chapter here in East Texas, and our president uh, is also an AKA, uh, Miss Charlotte uh, Adams Graves, and I will certainly uh, refer her information over to you uh, so that when you do come into uh, East Texas, uh, that you would be able to reach out to her even before uh, you come into East Texas, so that she can know. Because that's that's one of the, that's one of the initiatives that we work with is sickle cell anemia. Uh, now, Dr. Hagney has a lot of family uh, in the Houston area. You want to share with us about your drive that you're working toward for Houston, Texas. Yes, I would like to mention a little about our, our task force. This is very interesting. The model we're looking at You're kind of fading out, Dr. Hagney. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. One of the projects, can you hear me now? One of the projects we're working yeah. on with the uh, churches is because the question is how are you reaching communities? With our task force, we're developing what we call the community effectively through the black churches, we're actually creating church hubs. We're, we're creating these hubs for a uh, for a technology venture that's worth very excited what you're talking about. In other words, from a central site, we can send a message to each hub. That hub might be made of 10 to 20 churches throughout East Texas. That hub church would be responsible for getting the information out to all those small churches. And we basically identified uh, there are going to be 10 hubs from Texarkana all the way down to uh, uh, the Beaumont area. Very interesting you mentioned that because the first test model of this, we wanted to look at prostate cancer in the black males. Uh, we were going to look at the third Sunday in, uh, in uh, September to be that month where we send that message, that PSA out about prostate and PSAs through this hub mechanism through all these churches in uh, through these hubs in East Texas. What's interesting about uh, what you're saying, we can also look at testing this model with sickle cell. Uh, that can, so if you have a PSA or sickle cell, we can actually send, we can test that through this model. Like I said, we're going to have 10 hubs from Texarkana all the way to Beaumont, and each one of these hubs represent on the average about 10 to 15. One has 20 churches, rural community churches. And they they respond to a lot of the moderators in these churches talk to each other, and so this is where what we're saying. Sure, we have a lack of internet in the rural community, but what's being done about it? This is going to be one of the initial steps to develop digital information into our community, and through these hubs, we can reach the small black churches.
throughout East Texas, from uh, Texarkana all the way to uh, Boca. And that also includes part of the Houston. Houston wants to bring the program into Houston. We sort of stand out of the urban areas right now because we're developing expertise of rural communities of color. I think we've done that now. So I would very be, very, I'd be very interested in testing your PSA for sickle cell in this in this in this system, this hub system. And so we could talk about that and and that partnership, how we can bring it on. But like I said, we need a PSA that we can run through these hubs to all these churches because they're responding with the with the vaccines now. We also told them we're not coming in community just to give vaccination. It's a continued long-term project we're working with them on. So they're very excited about that. So I know they will be very excited about uh, this uh, following up after the prostate uh, project uh, in our community. So they need something. They need a response. So I would love to partner with you, uh, or your organization, for uh, disseminating this PSA on sickle cell through these church hubs. And my first research paper was on sickle cell, by the way. I just want to mention that in my forensic oh, background. Okay. Right. Yeah, okay. Dr. Hadley, yeah, I am working with an organization right now, Empowerment Community Development Corporation in Tyler, and we're working to secure a place for blood drive in November. And once we get that done, we will have a series of PSAs that we will have available, and also I will be doing some education and awareness Zoom calls with this committee, and it is our desire to bring together fraternities, sororities, churches, and we want to at least establish a blood drive every quarter within the Tyler community so that we can allow people to donate on a regular basis. We don't want just people donating one time. We're wanting to create an environment where people donate regularly because blood donations are needed on a regular basis to help patients with sickle cell. Um, One of the other things, a couple more things I wanted to bring out with regard to this, and then I'm going to have the young lady who is hosting our blood drive on this Friday um, in Houston. Um, She's a part of the Ruby of the Ruby Ball Foundation. It, the blood drive will be there at the American Red Cross at our Houston chapter there from 11 to 5 o'clock. And so um, I'll allow her in just a little bit. I'm going to tell a few more facts about sickle cell, then allow her to tell her personal story about her, her experience with sickle cell disease. Um, right. Again, as it relates to blood, um, blood transfusions is the most common treatment for sickle cell disease, and blood blood must be closely matched between the donor and the patient to reduce the risk of complications. And so the closely matched blood will most likely come from a blood donor of the same race or similar ethnicity. So this is why we really need more people from the black community donating blood. Um, Today, less than half of the blood we provide for patients with sickle cell come from the African-American community and that really have the markers that match and that are most compatible. This means we can only provide optimal blood transfusion matches for sickle cell for about 40% of the time for our patients. What does this mean? It means that the other 60%, we provide the next best match available, in which case oftentimes these donors with different ethnicities from the recipients 
which may lead to adverse reactions. So, again, we really need, and we know with, with COVID, we were impacted, and we are being impacted disproportionately. However, we want to encourage those who are healthy, as we still do have a healthy percent of our population, that even though there's a pandemic, their sickle cell disease does not stop. And patients that go into pain crisis, they need blood products. So we really need the black community to step up to help us. Well, let me jump in for just a second, and I'm going to ask everybody else to mute their phones uh, while, while I'm having a conversation with Ms. Witherspoon. Everybody else mute your phones because I can hear your background noise. You've kind of already told us, uh, Ms. Witherspoon, uh, uh, what, uh, what we need to know about uh, sickle cell. Uh, but if you can if you can give us a little bit more about why it's important for us to know about sickle cell, and then if you can kind of talk about what the normal uh, red blood cell looks like and that sickle cell blood cell looks like, so that people and, and then just kind of tell them why it's so important, uh, in particular for African Americans and the effect that it has on various organs uh, of our bodies. I'm going to mute out while you talk to us about that. Absolutely. Well, in a person that does not have sickle cell disease, our um, blood cells are usually round and smooth. However, with a person with sickle cell disease, their blood cells are sickle-shaped, just like the name, and they're hard and rigid, in which case it can cause severe pain. Um, many sickle cell patients go into regular crisis. Uh, one of our medical directors recently described the pain as synonymous as a heart attack. So that's very painful. It can cause tissue or organ damage and even stroke. I have a blood drive coming up at Houston University on the 7th of September, in which case I'm working with a young man who actually had sickle cell disease and he had a stroke. And for a certain time, about an 18-month period of his life, he had to have monthly transfusions. And what transfusions do, it, it when you have a transfusion, then regular blood cells become more prominent than the sickle-shaped blood cells, and therefore it will alleviate that pain and reduce your chances of having a stroke. So with sickle cell disease, 1 in 12 African Americans are born, 1 in 365 births result in people um, that have sickle cell Sickle cell disease is also a result of two parents who are carriers of the sickle cell trait. That's how you inherit this genetic. It is a genetic disease. It's inherited when both parents have the trait. There's a 25% chance that you will have a child with sickle cell disease. Right. Did that answer the okay. question? Yes, ma'am. A absolutely uh, did. And you gave us some statistics. Uh, yes, exactly. You gave us great statistics on uh, on uh, sickle cell. Uh, how does it? Do you know how it may affect our 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 society? Uh, if uh, or does sickle cell affect our society? If so, how does it affect? Uh, and I think about the young children that you're talking about, and sometimes they're not able to go to school, and the different and how it affects us uh, the mental health. 
uh, capacity uh, of a, just think about a young child having to uh, uh, deal with uh, sickle cell, say a school age child having to deal with sickle cell, and how that that would affect uh, their growth and and their mental status as well as going to school. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, in this case, I'm going to allow my um, my sponsor to come in. She okay. is a person with sickle cell, and I think she could actually Excellent. help us to understand even better um, her experience with sickle cell. Ijama, are you there? Perfect. Ijama? If she's muted, maybe we'll ask her to unmute Ijama and talk to us. Yes, she's texting me that she's here. You have to unmute, Ijama. (laughs) Miss Rihanna, if you'll open her line up for her, if you're on, Miss Rihanna, open her line and so that she could talk to us about her experience with sickle cell, uh, at what age she was diagnosed with it, and how it has affected her life. Yes, she has a 202 number. She's a two Miss Rihanna, if you would unmute. Miss Rihanna actually is. She may not be picking up on us just right now. Okay. But, yeah, well, but if she. Well, yeah. Okay, well, I can talk a little bit while she's trying to come on. I know we have um, one video that we show quite often of a young lady who, when she goes into sickle cell crisis, she's not able to do anything. Her mm-hmm. strength is gone. It pretty much immobilizes a person. Um, her strength is gone. Her color is gone. She's not able to play. And pretty much that really does impact um, you emotionally. You're not able to play like the rest of the kids. You may not be able to run like the rest of the children do. So it definitely impacts them throughout their life. And the only way that they are relieved in these instances is through a blood transfusion. We've heard in those instances, they immediately, their strength comes back, their color comes back, and they're able to participate. So regular blood transfusions for some sickle cell patients are the only way that they're able to live a normal life. Exactly. I I can remember, uh, Ms. Renee, that... Uh, I've taken care of lots and lots of sickle cell patients uh, during my career, and I just all, my heart just would always uh, go out for those youngsters that would come in. That first of all, they they were had depressive uh, symptoms, and then they would mi- be missing school and missing their friends, mm-hmm. and they were not yeah. able to participate in school performances. It was just a mm-hmm. tragedy to see. Them and these were students that looked like me, so I, you know, my heart just went out uh, to right. to them, and so uh, so right. it is. And, and I and, and let me just say that I I thank uh, uh, Pastor Stanley Kofer. He reached out to me and told me about you and wanted us to to work with you on making sure that that everything that you want to do for us here in East Texas in regards to our community, that we're able to do that for you. So uh, we thank uh, uh, Dr. Hagney for for offering uh, the services uh, of our task force and and everybody. We're going to get everybody involved in helping because this is something that affects 
uh, that community. Can you tell us then uh, how long a person may be able to live with sickle cell? Is there a, a life expectancy uh, that uh, that people with sickle cell may, may face? Go ahead. Yeah, from a personal standpoint, I know when I was young, I used to hear that people didn't live past the 30s, but in my time just recently, I've met people that are living within, um, that are in their 60s. So people are living longer, and um, there are some medical gains and some some um, good results. Um, and maybe um, somebody else that's a doctor can talk a little bit more about that. But people are living longer, which is good. But Another reason, something else I wanted to highlight with regard to why it's important that we have more black people donating, because when a patient is getting blood that's less than compatible to them, meaning that the ethnicity or race is not the match that they need, what happens is they begin to develop allergic reactions. And so Mm -hmm. the more they get blood that's not the best match, it adversely right. impacts their bodies so that there there have been some instances where people have gone into organ failure and have mm-hmm. passed away. So one of That's the ways right. that we can ensure that they continue to live longer lives is that we have a more compatible unit of blood and one of the and and our foremost mission on the biomedical side is to make sure that we have the right type of blood at the right time. We don't want a patient showing up at the hospital and we have to search throughout the United States to try to find that best matched blood. And we do have Mm -hmm. routinely instances where patients are at the hospital, they have to wait for hours. I know in one instance, being with the Red Cross, we had to send all the way to Florida to find the best match that we could for Mm. a child which was at Children's Hospital. This is something Mm. that we don't want to happen. Um, African Americans, we do have unique antigens in our blood that may not be found in the European population. Thus, Mm. we need to step up. We're the only ones who can help our community. That's true. Um, I'm so proud. Can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question right quick? How you doing, Arthur Fleming? Uh, yeah. Hey, 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 here, you know, and all the stuff you're saying is it, so interesting, right? And mm-hmm. and so my thing is, when you all are doing your uh, blood drives, I, I think that's the story that y'all need to tell. You know, you, you know, not only uh, you know about about uh, sickle cell and you know you know Africa how it came about, but you can talk about the, the fact that we have special different things in our blood that other folks don't have is why mm-hmm. you need us. And so I think if you all would would, would uh, put together your your, your you know your, your your you know your programming and kind of explain to people like that, explain to black people like that, you have something that I mean I need something that only you can give me. Absolutely. You know, and I, think, and I think that's more of a personal appeal. Absolutely, absolutely. Good point. Good point. Well, longevity is is a key. You you really nailed it because I can remember when in my in the early part of my practicing, uh, I'm, I'm a nurse clinician, and I can remember that the uh, probably the the medium the medium was in your your 40s, your early early 40s, and mm-hmm. uh, and but now 
because of lifestyle changes, people probably taking better care of themselves. I say this all the yes. time, uh, Ms. Renee, is that we have the greatest health care system in the world. It's just a little too pricey. Uh, it's not affordable mm-hmm. enough. But we have everything that we need right here uh, in America. I was listening tonight, and I think I started out this show talking about Dr. Samuel Houston, a renowned surgeon uh, in our community that that worked all over the world uh, because he was also military. Uh, but but he had access to everybody, and whenever he had a patient that he saw that needed, uh, whether it was a hematologist or whether it was an ortho a guy or. Uh, reproductive, it did not matter, all aspects, he could put his hands on and send that, that's the low socioeconomical, uh, say, uh, uh, people, uh, people of color, period, didn't matter how much money or how little or how more money that they had, and then very poor Caucasian people, he would make sure that they had access, and I can remember he would always make sure that sickle cell children and he was a surgeon, but he made sure that mm-hmm. when he saw sickle cell children that were suffering, that he was always looking out for them. One other thing I just wanted to mention that I found out that I didn't know, and the more that I get in front of audiences and talk about sickle cell, inevitably there is always someone who, in the audience who has a child, has a family member with sickle cell, and um, many of the people around them don't know. So I'm learning that there's somewhat of a stigma seems to be attached, that we don't readily talk about it in our community. Thus, mm-hmm, we're, mm-hmm. Not, thus we're not really aware. Most people, when I ask them, they'll say, yeah, I've heard of sickle cell, and they may even say, yeah, and I know someone with sickle cell. But they don't mm-hmm. automatically make that leap from, okay, when you're talking about a sickle cell patient, it's connected to blood donations. And then right. even if they make that connection, they certainly do not make the connection that my blood, just like, um, I don't know who, is that Pastor Cooper who said that, that my blood is unique, can uniquely help a sickle cell patient. And that's mm-hmm. my passion. I'm totally passionate about this. I, Of course, like I said, I've been with the Red Cross for 24 years, but in the last six months I've learned so much more about what is needed in this community, mm-hmm. and I am fully persuaded that we're able to meet the need. We just don't have the awareness. That's right. Very good. Yeah, so master. now that was actually Mr. Arthur. That was Mr. Arthur Fleming who said that. But but what I what we've seen, uh, uh, Miss Renee, is and I think that this has a lot to do with the longevity. Uh, we see mm-hmm. uh, sickle cell patients that do not smoke, do not drink, do not mm-hmm. use drugs. That they really mm-hmm. work to eat well live well and remain yeah. as healthy as they possibly can, their lives uh, last a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, right. 1,000%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, Houston down there, may I have a comment? University of Houston is showing, a um, medical school there on campus, uh, they're showing a, a major interest in uh, a minority health area. They look in the clinics in the Houston area. Also, they have research there and also the pharmacy schools there. Since you're there in the university, I would, I would highly advise you to connect with the medical school there on, at University of Houston uh, and their research program. 
I think they will be very cost. They are indicating they want to work in the color there in the Houston area and also in the research area. And, and I would I would highly recommend that you touch bases with the University of Houston Medical School down there, Texas Southern School of Pharmacy. You have a wealth of information right there that could really they're showing signs they want to partner. So I would highly recommend if you're not. But you, I know you're going to have a drive at the University of Houston. But talk also to them about what you talked about tonight. The information, but information, and I think that they'll they'll go mine because they're looking at building some putting some clinics in some of the neighborhoods down there in Houston, and which is indication they want to partner with the community. So I would highly recommend you develop a relationship with them down there, and uh, in there in the Houston area. I will do that. Thank and, you. And be sure and, and, and be sure and tell them that Dr. Hackney told you to call them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and did you say that's the School of Pharmacy down there? Can you tell me one more time? Sure, that, 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 I tell students that School of Pharmacy and say the Texas UT and all that. I don't like to hear this thing. I said the Texas Southern uh, School of Pharmacy is right there. Uh, just, they're just right next door to the University of Houston. They're doing some joint programs down there. Uh, that's when my first research paper on sickle cell was actually at Texas Southern School of Pharmacy. But the uh, University of Houston has a medical school there. And so I would highly recommend that Medical partnership research. Okay. And also the general information, I know the information needed for our minority community, but the community as a whole need to know more about uh, sickle cell. Because when you look at educational areas, I know early on the schools didn't understand when a student was suffering from pre-sickle. So the whole educational mm-hmm. system need to understand uh, about sickle cell and you know, uh, information and everything. So. Uh, they can help you with that. And that's what that PSA would help do also. And Absolutely. let me jump back in there also, Ms. Renee. Uh, what Listening to Dr. Hagney reminded me of something. It, it's real crucial. If you can give us some signs and symptoms of sickle cell, keeping in mind, and we all know that uh, every almost every disease entity has some some sign or symptom that's related one to the other, but there's always a uh, one or two maybe things that we may be able to pull apart to say, yeah, that's sickle cell, or yes, this is dehydration, yes, this is something else, but can you just give us a few signs and symptoms uh, so for those out there that are listening so that they'll know uh, exactly what they may be looking for before they even uh, know that they have that sickled uh, cell, and that sickle cell kind of looks like a moon shape. Uh, I believe, and so mm-hmm. uh, so. Can you give us a few signs and symptoms, uh, Ms. Renee, of sickle cell, sickle cell, yeah. and, and then talk a little bit about pain crisis, if, if you can. Yeah, yeah, and that that was Ijama's role, and she's still not right. able to get in. <laughs> but <laughs> and she, well, and well, well, I tell you what, if you tell me, uh, here, if you would text me. She's texting me, and she said five main triggers are stress, infection, dehydration, high altitude, and extreme change in temperatures. Those are triggers to pain crisis. Um, It is, um, yes. And so the other thing that she said um, to um, uh, more in that it's more than pain crisis and affects various organs because of the blockage Mm -hmm flow of blood and oxygen, and that's where exactly. I mentioned that you can have organ failure with right. regard yeah. to sickle cell. Yes. 
Obviously, they got low red blood cells, and that's what yeah. causes them to be anemic or anemia. Yeah. And then some of, some of the other symptoms that we, what we used to look at when we're doing our assessment from head to toe, a uh, patient uh, presented, say, in our emergency room, we look at, at their uh, nail beds to see if there's paleness and see if their skin is pale and if their lips mm-hmm. are pale and, and if their nail beds around the uh, below the fingernails are are uh, pale looking, and then if they're really mm-hmm. short of breath, and if they're feeling kind of lightheaded, and they, and a lot of times they're just real irritable. They can't focus when you're talking mm-hmm. to them to try to get an assessment of them. Then their attention span is just really, yeah. really faint, and and then they have that rapid heartbeat, that beep, boom, 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 boom heartbeat, and then sometimes they're dizzy, and then they're always they're always tired. They just seem not to be able to get enough rest. I, I can remember when we would present them onto the floors, and then we put them in their room. We made sure that the room was nice and dark uh, so that that would decrease their lightheadedness, you know, the having those headaches and being so irritable. Just make it very quiet uh, for them mm-hmm. and then give them the pain medication and then eventually maybe a blood transfusion. I am so sorry that Ms. Eugenia uh, cannot come in and talk to us a little bit more about the crisis and the infections and, and the chest uh, discomforts that uh, sometimes mm-hmm. they experience. Can you tell us when? I think you can't tell us right now when you're going to come and see us, but we know that you will, and we know that next month, I believe, uh, begins uh, your program, your initiative of working, because that's, that's uh, Sickle Cell Month is next month. Isn't that right, September? And we do have other blood drives in the Dallas area, specifically, though, in East Texas, we're ramping up, and the first blood drive will be in November. But um, other blood drives, if you go to redcrossblood.org, and you can simply put in your zip code and blood drives in your area will come up. Um, Sickle cell blood drives, um, I can... Um, let's see, we have another drive um, on this Friday that's at the, um, in Fort Worth at the um, Shambly Branch Library. That's another blood drive that's in the DFW area. And then on Saturday, I have a blood drive at in Irving at the Courtyard Marriott, and it's, it's being sponsored as a sickle cell blood drive. So Again, if you go to redcrossblood.org, um, several blood drives can pop up and people can find places to donate. And, again, very soon, I'm sure with the help that I'm getting, even just from everyone on this phone call in East Texas, we're looking to ramp up a very robust and regular blood program there. Very good. I think it's crucial, uh, Ms. Renee, that, that we let – like in the uh, – in the pandemic era, uh, when people mm-hmm. think about uh, uh, things uh, being uh, contagious, uh, make mm-hmm. sure that people know that sickle cell, you may want to address that a little bit, that sickle cell mm-hmm. is not a contagious uh, disease, uh, that it, it's an inherited uh, disease that you may inherit from one or two, one or both parents, uh, the sickle cell gene. You want to, want to talk a little bit 
about that. And then you, if you can talk a little bit about uh, the blood and how the blood is tested and so forth. I can remember when I first started to practice how the blood was not tested way back in the day, long time ago, even before I started to practice, blood was not tested. And so consequently, we know what happened during some of the blood back in the day when it wasn't tested. Can you talk to us a little bit about what happens with the blood once it's once you have your blood draws? Absolutely. Well, just just a little bit about the steps in the donation process. When you come to donate first, um, we ask that you take that you allot for about an hour to an hour hour and fifteen minutes for the blood donation process. We take you through a registration, and that's where you're answering some basic eligibility guidelines. Um, we, you show us your ID, and you read over information about blood donation. And then we take you to, through a mini health history, and that's where we take your blood pressure. We actually check your iron level. Um, we talk to you about your prescriptions and over-the-counter medications. And by the way, several misnomers about donating blood, especially in the black community, is that if you have high blood pressure or diabetes that you cannot donate, and that is not true. As long as you're taking medicine and it's take, keeping you within normal range, you can donate blood. Also, tattoos, as long as your tattoo has been um, given at a um, licensed tattoo parlor, you can donate blood. Um, okay, then after the health history, then the donation process only takes about 15 minutes, and that's what I call butt in the bed for about 15 minutes. And then after that, the refreshment and recovery portion of the blood donation. And that's where we observe you and we give you snacks and we immediately get you to start replenishing your fluids. And then after, certainly after you donate blood, it goes back to our manufacturing in our lab, in which case more than about 18 tests are taken on your blood because not only do we want to help patients, we want to make sure that that blood is safe and viable for the person that's the recipient of that blood. So we're, we're testing for anything um, that can be passed on through the blood. And just as you said, no, sickle cell is not, um, you cannot catch sickle cell disease. It is a genetic disease. And because we're talking about COVID, I want to um, let the audience know that our process is safe. We are following very strict guidelines. Everyone who comes to donate has to have on our masks. Our staff have has on masks. They have gloves. We're sanitizing throughout the process. We are social distancing. Um, we have beds um, six feet apart. So we're doing everything, and we're also asking our donors to make appointments so that we can manage that flow and we can manage the number of people that are in any area at any particular time so that we can make sure that even our donors that come in, that they're safe. Um, with regard to our health history process, that's a plus because even in my years of being with the Red Cross, there have been many people just by taking our mini health history, uh, we've sent directly to the hospital or we've had them to go check and we've gotten many letters back where people are saying, I didn't know that I had my, my uh, iron level was at a critical stage. And so 
um, that is a benefit to the donor. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask a couple questions right quick. Well, first of all, uh, 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 can you be too old to give blood? And, okay. And, and, and the other one, well, and other more of us, they you just kind of give me an update. You know, the Red Cross, they went through some type of um, financial, whatever you want to call it, scandal or whatever it was for a minute there. And and, and a lot of people that had, had a lot of, you know, faith, faith with Red Cross, they kind of lost it. Now, we're talking about giving blood for sickle cell patients. Now, when, 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 because I just want to be clear. If I come in and give some blood and, and, and I'm coming to give it to a sickle cell patient, is it going to go to a sickle cell patient or is it just going to go into the pool of blood? So everybody, that's a good question. Number one, with regard to the age of blood donation, um, have to be 17 years old to donate without parental consent, and there is no age um, limit as long as you're healthy. We just require that you're in good health and you're feeling well when you donate. We've had people in their 70s that actually donate blood. Now, not everyone who donates blood will be able to give to an actual sickle cell patient um, your blood comes in, it, and it's tested to see if it has the particular antigens that they're looking for, and then it's designated to go to the sickle cell patient that's there. But I just want to remind everyone that if we don't have enough black people donating, then we're not going to find those unique markers that we need. So not every blood donation is to a sickle cell patient, but it increases the likelihood that we're able to find that unique blood that we need. But you can be assured that everyone who donates, you are actually able to help save up to three lives. Every one blood donation can be utilized. Your blood has white, well, has red blood cells, platelets, and plasma. We're able to separate those out and help patients with other medical needs also. So you can be assured that your blood is going to be used to help a patient who is very much in need. Our mission at the Red Cross is to alleviate suffering by mobilizing volunteers. And so there are, you know, a lot of people think of crisis like the big crisis, just like we just had a hurricane. But I want to remind people that in someone's family every day, there is a mini crisis helping. So, and also it, the fact that it is the blood that is already on the shelf. Many times we have people that come out and when there's mass, mass um, casualties happening and everybody wants to flood and come and donate. But it is the blood that's already on the shelf that can help patients at that time. Really what you're doing is replenishing the blood supply. So we are really wanting to have people that regularly donate on a regular basis so that when you, your family is having a mini crisis, that that blood is already on the shelf when you present. Very good, that's excellent, so well, so well stated. So the final thing that I, I have, if you can dialogue a little bit on uh, when when a a sickle cell patient is in crisis, or even if an undiagnosed uh, sickle cell uh, patient is in crisis, some of the things that that can be going on with them that can cause them to 
say, I need to get to the hospital or emergency room pretty quickly. Can you can you share any any symptoms that yeah. may say okay? Can you share those with our audience? Yeah, no, that's beyond my um, expertise. <laughs> beyond your scope. Okay. Well, well that, let me just say, again, those that, those that yeah, that maybe there. one of the doctors on the line can answer that question. That's beyond, and of course, again, I'm heading to beyond your scope. <laughs> yeah, well, let, let me just throw that in because I, I think that, that it's crucial that for people that are listening out there to know that that and, and if you are not a diagnosed person and if you are a diagnosed person, if, first of all, if you start running a high temperature, uh, 38, well, let's just do it in regular uh, Fahrenheit, if you're running a uh, 101 degrees over, then you know you get there's something going on uh, with it, and then you, and you you're into a a painful crisis. I, I can remember uh, making assessments of patients, and they would say uh, I was having this excruciating uh, orthopedic pain, this joint pain, bone pain, and that kind of thing. And then they talked about uh, that they had severe pain in their stomach, and then their stomach start, would start to swell. And then they'd have the chest pain. All of these, these are real crucial symptoms that you just don't play around with because it could eventually lead uh, to a, a person going into a coma, loss of consciousness. And then that, that uh, vision, if you, your headache is so bad, that your vision is distorted, uh, and then uh, you, you get that jaundice look, which means yellow, or that pale jaundice look that's in your skin. Uh, it's just a lot of different things that mm-hmm. you can can take a look at. But those are some those are some very first symptoms uh, that will say you need to get some medical help real fast before mm-hmm. you because uh, you're Idama is texting me here, and that is what she's saying. She said, um, I usually go to the hospital when I feel like I can't manage the pain at home anymore or if I have chest pain. If it's in my chest, I go to the hospital to ensure it's not something more serious. So that's what she's texting. She's listening to us. Can you ask her? Can you text her and ask her anything in regards to seizures? If if she's experienced uh, any of those, I just want people who are listening out there to know all of these very confinatory things that that would cause them to give some medical attention real fast. If you can ask for that. And then we know that Pastor Cooper is on. I just got a message from uh, Miss Rihanna that Pastor Cooper is on. Pastor Cooper, if you'd like to come in and ask, we've had an opportunity to ask questions and dialogue and put information out there. Uh, Dr. Hagney and I are the, the medical people on, uh, but he is also a, a psychologist. He can speak to you from, a, from the uh, mental health perspective. Uh, Pastor Cooper, are you there? Yes, I am, and thank you again okay. for having me, and uh, what a wonderful discussion, not only on the mental health side of it, uh, but also because of a pastor, I've dealt with, uh, you know, because we have patients also, we visit the hospital right. quite often, and, and I'm uh, very familiar with how to get in and out of the hospitals very quickly with back staircases and stairwells to get in and out, especially with this COVID, uh, but I, one of my experiences dealing with patients like this, and I don't know if y'all covered it, is that you have to have absolutely have a working relationship with a physician that's familiar with your case and your symptoms because a lot of times mm-hmm. the hospitals and the R think that you're asking for drugs or medication 
and because the pain is so severe and, and you almost can't describe it. Uh, so uh, th- that's some of the things that come to mind with dealing with this type of issue you guys are speaking of tonight. And I had to unmute myself. Dr. Hagney, excuse me, I'm going to go to Pastor Cooper. Pastor Cooper, can you share with us some things that mentally that a patient can do, or maybe Ujama can text us to what she does that can make her feel better about herself when she is, say, in crisis, or if you just have uh, a sickle cell period. I don't know how old she was when she first was diagnosed with sickle cell. I don't know how old she is right now, but that's some a question maybe you can text to her, Miss Renee, and ask her how old was she when she first uh, was diagnosed with uh, sickle cell. But Pastor Cooper, maybe you can share something that uh, that perhaps they can avoid uh, that well that may take them into a crisis or just speaking uh, generally from a a mental health perspective of what people can do to feel better about even any disease process, but in particular we're talking about uh, sickle cell tonight. Can you tell us anything uh, that uh, Uh, they may be able to do? Yeah, matter of fact, the biggest thing is because you don't want to rely on too much medication is meditation. Uh, that's what I found out over the years, even before I uh, completed the uh, master's in psychology, uh, was meditation is key, uh, those type of uh, different uh, uh, forms of, uh, and formats of medication, whatever is good for you. The other thing is the comfort of family and loved ones. Uh, I, I prescribe uh, mo- most of the young patients because the ones I dealt with were younger, and I, I don't know how old this young lady is that y'all are referencing tonight, but the miracle is that they live to be older. I mean, uh, this yeah. is a very severe disease, and a lot of people do not uh, uh, give a lot of attention to it. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that it, it deals with a lot of African Americans. Uh, I'm a I'm a sickle cell trait uh, person, uh, so if I had married someone with sickle cell trait, then our children would be susceptible to sickle cell uh, anemia. Uh, this is a very serious, grave disease, and lots of meditation, mm-hmm. lots of love and comfort from loved ones. Matter of fact, we literally would have the mother cradle the child, and that was the best medication that she can ever receive. After the blood transfusion, <laughs> keep in mind, well, uh, we, uh, we had to prescribe, you know, with the doctor's help, uh, three different blood transfusions with the severe case that we dealt with. And they feel like brand-new creatures after, uh, immediately after the transfusion. But what we can't do is over, uh, overdo it afterwards uh, because of the fact yeah. that uh, you're still a sick person. Good point. And, and so you feel Good like point. Superman, yeah. a superwoman. So, so th- th- it's a very uh, technical disease. Very good. Uh, That's uh, an excellent okay. point. Go ahead, Ms. Wait, Renee. Hey, Go ahead. Hey, sure. Wait, wait. Yeah, I'm going to let you just sit in a second, Mr. Arthur, but let's hear from our guest, Ms. Renee, go ahead. Yes, I just want to get in some of the things that Ijama is saying, that she first knew about it when she was a baby, and she's now 38 years old. Um, She says you don't don't know when, when you're going into a crisis. That's the issue. It comes out of nowhere. Um, Then one of the one things, and she says this so beautifully, and I really wish, and hopefully you can have her back later because she has such a unique and wonderful testimony, and she wants us to know that first thing, it is not, it, it, 
is to not look at it as a weakness as part of your strength. So she's been able to see sickle cell disease as it has made her stronger, and it is actually part of her strength, and she has a beautiful testimony. And then lastly, I just want to bring to bear her um, foundation. She said if you want to learn more about sickle cell disease, you can go to the Ruby Ball. Um, she's on Instagram, and I know she also has a podcast that is called, I think it's Silent No More, so that she has many conversations and lots of Silent No More. Thank you, Ijama. <laughs> so it's <laughs> Silent. It's called we Silent. Knew. Yeah. We knew that for your minute. Yes. And so, um, yeah, so the, some of the things that she thinks. Very okay. good. Go ahead, Mr. Arthur. I know you had something yeah. that you were trying to say. Yeah, what I would say to her is to, uh, you know, to focus on the healing power of her mind, right? You know, yeah. her, you, you know your mind have a lot of healing power to it. Folks don't understand that, but it actually does. And, and, and so what I would say is, like, uh, of course, you know, be conscious and be in the moment. Uh, you know, enjoy enjoy it big time when everything is, is is you know you know you know going great. But basically, you know, continue to focus on uh, the powerful mind as far as her healing and as far as her you know you know having to deal with what she what she have to deal with. And I think she do that. Uh, you know, it'll manifest itself in a whole bunch of different ways. I think she'll be happy with it. So just focus on healing, sure. focus on healing your mind, and uh, sure. absolutely. That's beautiful, oh. uh, Mr. Arthur. Uh, go ahead. Were you trying to say something, uh, Dr. Hedney? Yes, I was going to mention the role Good, of the family practice, Dr. Uh, have, you, uh, have you had a uh, need for a latch of uh, position for sickle cell uh, individuals? Because uh, access to health care, I'm just wondering, access to health care, because I had several friends that had this issue for uh, family doctors, uh, that physician, and I think Pastor Cooper mentioned earlier about the uh, overprescribing on medications. That can occur a lot when you utilize the emergency room as your family doc. I'm just wondering, is there a need or are you having problems or most individuals have a uh, care position that they are actually on, on a routine uh, basis? Uh, is that a problem? Mr. Nick, can you can you? Do you hear me? Do you hear, do you hear me? Mm-hmm. Yes, we heard you. Uh, can, can you ask Ms. Udima that question, uh, Ms. Renee, about her I'm position? Sorry, if she has... I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't get the gist of what he asked. Can you ask that again? Okay. In the area of health care, one of the major needs, in particular in communities of color, is access to care, health care. And I'm just wondering, mm-hmm. the need, uh, is there a problem for uh, Access to primary docs for uh, for sickle cell individuals because there is a need for the education component with the doctors, and also where the emergency room is not their primary care individual most of the time because that's where you get a lot of overprescribing medication in the emergency room. So I'm just wondering uh, the need or there's a problem or a recommendation she may have or uh, that she's seen as a problem with other individuals for access to a family uh, family care doctor. Yes. Um, let's see. She hasn't answered that. Hopefully she heard. But anecdotally, in my training, there was a um, sickle cell um, person with sickle cell that was speaking to us. 
And one of the things that she did say was that she's gone to the doctor um, before, and the doctor on the spot was actually Googling um, about sickle cell. Wow. So there is much yeah, education exactly. needed in the oh medical my. community where people yeah. don't even know about sickle cell. So I have heard that anecdotally. Um, I can't speak so, specifically, right. um, you know, for so, her. But, but, I, but I, you, I, I, I can speak on that a little bit because it goes back to health care. And that's one of the things that, you know, listen, again, guys, I am not running the governor of Texas because I just want a position. I've had positions. We need these things to be talked about, brought up. I don't know who invited this guest tonight, but this is an incredible subject. And exactly what she's describing right now, doctors are not familiar with it. And for sure, exactly what Dr. Hagman is saying is that most physicians, I mean, most uh, people that in this critical state utilize the ERs or the clinics so you don't have continuity, consistency when it comes to diagnosis or treatment. So, again, this is a, a reason why we need to expand Medicaid. Uh, this is a reason why we need to uh, deal with health care for every citizen. Uh, we, we have to look at these because, again, un- disproportionately African Americans are attacked in the and affected in these areas, and that goes right back to healthcare. Right, and let me, I want to jump in on that as well. During my practice, the bulk of the people who I saw that were sickle cell patients, uh, their physicians that really knew about sickle cell were African American physicians uh, and healthcare professionals because, for the simple reason that sickle cell affects more uh, African-Americans than any other ethnicity, and that could be one of the reasons uh, that uh, that there's so few who were treating uh, sickle cell anemia because of the group. Uh, and Dr. Hagney's already brought this out, and it's not a secret. We know that there's still health care disparities uh, in this country, but in particular, uh, back in the day, so to speak, probably when Ms. Udima was diagnosed, there was even more uh, disparities in regards to uh, sickle cell. The other thing that I, I want to just capitalize real quickly, and I'm going to give it back to Ms. Renee and hear more if she has something else from, from our other guests, uh, is that in regards to what some of the things that would make you feel better uh, about uh, this is, is to, to work really hard on trying to avoid uh, a crisis. And some of the crises that are brought on, obviously, is the, is the crisis that I call for every single uh, problem that we have, whether it's a medical problem, whether it's just a, a problem of life, and that is stress. So if you can try your very best uh, to avoid as much stress as you possibly can, avoid the extreme and hot temperatures uh, because those mm-hmm. are some of the triggers that will actually uh, take you into, uh, into a, a pain crisis. And, mm-hmm. and then as far as activities are concerned, you have to really work with your physicians or your PCPs or your nurse practitioner or whomever you have uh, to work on uh, activities. Uh, for that, for the, the person, and just keep that close contact, and try your very best to find physicians that know about 
uh, or healthcare yeah. providers that know about sickle cell anemia. And nine times out of ten, that's going to be someone from our ethnicity, from the African American ethnicity. Go ahead, uh, Ms. Renee. I just wanted to to bring and, and by all means, stay away from smoking and drugs. I'm talking about illicit drugs and then um, alcohol, heavy alcohol drinking, and getting as much rest as you possibly can, and that goes for anything and everything. Go ahead, Ms. Renee. That's great, Dr. McKellar. Um, Ijama is also texting me. She said, yes, is, yes, is most hematologists focus on oncology, and we end up going to cancer centers for doctors? Yes. She says she only knows of two doctors focused on sickle cell, but they aren't in her area. It's only from her becoming an advocate that she got connected to them. And then last wow. one she said, also a big thing is the transition from adolescence to adult care. Most doctors focused on sickle cell are pediatricians, which mm-hmm. make it hard for adult patients because it is a lifelong disease. So that's very eye-opening. Those are her highlights. Her. Does she have an organization, Ms. Renee, uh, a sickle cell organization, a support group, a focus group uh, that she spends time with, uh, people that have the same thing, same issues that she has as for sickle cell? Is there a a sickle cell support group? If so, if she can put that information out uh, on our on our website so that Ms. Rihanna can put it on our website so that people who have sickle cell and people who are listening that are having difficulties in crisis and in pain crisis from just crisis of not being able to get the kind of care uh, that Dr. Hagney was talking about uh, a few minutes ago, the better care or the care that they should get rather than the deficit and disparities that we sometimes see in health care in uh, low-income Go ahead, Mr. Arthur. Let me ask. Let me ask one more question. Uh, okay, within the okay, when they divvy up the blood, once they get the blood and they divvy it up and they go to different places, wh- where is sickle cell on the priority list of the divvying of the blood? If a blood um, unit is designated for a sickle cell patient, it gets it gets the priority right. to the sickle cell patient definitely. Right. Right, yes. and that's what she's working yes. on as a blood blood drive specifically for sickle cell anemia. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Um, okay. A couple more. Oh, okay, points. so it stands a, oh, okay, so it stands a better chance through your blood drive of uh, of going in that direction than if and then if it just went in generally. Is that what you're saying? Because priority wise, it's not a high priority generally. Priority. Sickle cell yeah. in the blood industry is a high priority, and that's why we're specifically trying to work with the black community to bring in more black people that are donating so that we can provide the best product to these patients. We operate the um, rare blood donor program, and we specifically test blood for these rare antigens that are needed so we have a very robust um, system, in which case we're able to get the blood to the sickle cell patient if we have it. So we just Correct. might, in order to help in, in my field of expertise in blood, um, one of the best pe- things that everyone can do as we're talking about the disparities, we can eliminate this one issue 
is when a yes. person is in a pain crisis by simply donating blood. Exactly, because we want everybody to know that the way they get out of that pain crisis is to have that blood transfusion. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so, so when you're doing your, so look here, so I would suggest when you're doing your promotions, make sure the folks know that that by giving this blood, you are relieving pain for these people. Because, yes. see, you know, most folks don't know that. I'm just saying, you know, both, you know most folks mm-hmm. don't know it. Not, not only are they relieving pain, that's excellent, Mr. Arthur, and not only they are relieving pain, they're also extending their life expectancy because the longer they can exactly. stay out of crisis, the longer they right. can live. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Here's a couple more points that Ijama is making. She said one of the organizations is the Sickle Cell Disease Association of America, and she also yes. said she created the Ruby Ball as a way to unify the sickle cell community. Their main focus is to motivate and inspire those living with sickle cells so that they know that they are not alone and that there are others out there like them that are living full lives and achieving their dreams, and that is awesome. Isn't that awesome? So tell us awesome. more about the Ruby Bar. Can she? And I'm not. I'm not understanding why why Miss Ujama is not able to come in and talk. To, is there something with her line that's causing her not yes. to be able to? She, she's. Um. She's. Let's see. She. Her phone number is the person on the other line. Do they need to know her phone number? She. She's well, listening. She's there. So. Miss um, Rihanna, can you open? Ms. Rihanna, can you open up her 202 line, the 202 number, if you see that on your board? She may not be at the board because she's tied up doing some other things tonight, so perhaps mm-hmm. she's not at the board to open. She normally mm-hmm. will open up the board well, let me for see. all of our guests. I'm wondering if I can, um, if you guys you can pack her in. in. Yes, let yeah. me try to get her in. I'm going to call her, see if yeah. I can get her in. Hang up, Ijama, and I'm going to call you. That's a great idea. <laughs> great idea. That's good. So any other comments while we're waiting for um, Dr. Hagney? If you, I don't know if you had anything else while we're waiting for her to come in. So Because we, we'd love to hear her voice and hear from her. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> Just waiting to hear her voice. <laughs> so true. Exactly. Tell us. Share with us. Was that, was that, was that, was that Ruby B.A.R.? That, well, that's what I'm trying to find out myself. Uh, it sounds like that's what she's saying, but I, I want to know what that means and how she got started with that name and if there's somebody that uh, that she knows about. Okay. That, that, okay, are you there? She yeah. there? Can y'all hear me? Thank Gemma. We can yeah, hear can you. Hear Good me? evening and welcome Welcome to Marvelous Monday. It's great to hear your voice. I know. I was going to talk, but I'm I don't know why I didn't think about it before now. Go ahead and introduce yeah. yourself and tell us anything you want us to know that you have not already told us. <laughs> and I'm going to mute out to try to take everything, but um, I appreciate everybody um, and all the comments that y'all have been providing in terms of sickle cell and the support. Um, my name is Ijama Azubako. Um, as I stated, I'm 38 years old. I'm the creator of the Ruby Ball Foundation. It actually started um, in 2018, um, or in 2017, I moved um, to Africa. I had a friend that had sickle cell, and she actually passed away from sickle cell in 2017, um, October of 2017. In September of 2017, we had talked about trying to become greater advocates for sickle cell, and we were um, talking about what can we do in order to try to amplify our voices. And so 
prior to that, we were supposed to get together to do something. And so when she passed, I said, I have to, like, continue to, like, push this forward because we made a vow to do so. And so with that, I created the Ruby Ball Gala. Um, and so I had a or, gala. Are you saying um, ball? Are you saying, wait, you're saying B-A-L-L, Ruby Ball? Ball, like ball? yes. Like a okay, ball. Okay, gotcha. So like a ball and, yep. So the reason it's called the Ruby gotcha. Ball is, like, Ruby for the color and then the ball in terms of, like, gotcha. a cell, sickle shape. Yeah. Uh, um, sure. God bless the cell. Oh, It actually started, yeah, it started off as an actual, like, gala to raise money and awareness for sickle cell. Um, and so with that, I was able to raise $10,000 that I donated 100% to the Sickle Cell Disease Association of America. And with that, everybody was like, okay, what's next? And they wanted us to continue to move forward and to do more. And that's where the Ruby Ball Foundation was birthed. Um, and so the purpose of the Ruby Ball Foundation, as Renee um, stated to you all, is to help bring awareness and to unify those within the um, sickle cell community, and then also to be able to let them see there's others like them. Because I know that one of the things that was mentioned earlier on this call was that a lot of people, it's a stigma behind sickle cell, right, within the African-American community. And a lot of people are scared to talk about it or to allow people to know that it's something that they're dealing with. But I feel like if you start to see people that look like you, because, again, we talk about sickle cell is a silent disease. You don't look like you have sickle cell. Like, it's not like what it used to be, how there's a greater life expectancy for people now. People don't look as sickly or as ill as they did when this was something that was first affecting people back in the day. And so you're walking around living um, your life um, not knowing. And so because people can't see it in your face, they don't know the pain and the things that you're dealing with and what you're going through. Um, and so being able to see, like, okay, there's people like me that are out there. They're doing their thing. They're living their life. They're living full lives, and that will make them become more open to want to share about themselves as well. And so that's one of the things that we try to do, and that's where the podcast also came about so that we can have people share their stories, advocate um, their voices. We talked to various doctors that are um, a part within the community, community. Um, and then try to, like, get them to see, like, ways that they can try to grow and support themselves and just learn more about um, what they're dealing with so that they can be able to advocate for themselves better. So, so I had to unmute myself. So since you've had sickle cell all during your teenage years and all of that, how were you able to navigate uh, through, uh, say, elementary school and junior high school and high school on, on and beyond? Uh, because I can imagine how difficult it would have been to have to go to a classroom every day and sometimes get into a crisis and deal with all the things that you had to deal with. How did you handle yeah. uh, that part um, of your life? And so just even starting, um, I am – I come from a family of four. I have three siblings, and out of the um, out of the four of us, three of us have sickle cell. Me and my twin brother, my younger sister, and then my younger brother, he just has the trait. Um, so growing up, that was um, a thing. So the biggest thing, I know that's one of the things that came about that um, y'all talked about earlier is the anguish that it puts on you, like, mentally, right, and emotionally. And so I felt that that was more so the bigger thing is, like, not being able to do the things that a lot of the kids were doing. Like, everybody talked about how long my legs are and that I should be running track. But if I tried to get on the track, I'd get winded. And I couldn't, yeah. you know what I mean, do the things that everybody else was doing. And I didn't understand why, because I looked like everybody else. So why is it that I'm 
the one that, you know I mean, like I can't run and so I'm at school and I'm in PE and then the um, gym teacher is um, like trying to push me to do things and I'm like, I can't, but they're not understanding that I can't because I look normal, right? And so mm-hmm. that, was, that was kind of hard growing up from that perspective because people don't see the illness and because they don't see the illness, they don't know how it's truly affecting you until you're in the hospital or until something, you know what I mean, more tragic happens within the situation. And so one of the things that I was going to, that I had shared like in text message when I was talking to Renee was about my twin brother. So growing up, my twin brother, he didn't get as many crises or at least he didn't because that's another story in terms of how guys are and how men are with wanting to like show strength. And so, like, yeah. I don't remember seeing my younger, my twin brother um, in crisis or going to the hospital as much as me and my, my younger sister did. But now as an adult, at 35, he had a stroke. And wow. uh, that was something that was very devastating for my family because it's like he's always been very healthy because I know y'all talked about, like, um, not smoking, you know what I mean, eating healthy, all of these different things. But sometimes all, you can do everything that you need to do but then things still happen, and that's the. Sure. I mean, that's one of the big issues with somebody that has sickle cell is like you never know when something's going to happen. You can try to do everything the right way as much as you can, but things still happen. Things still end up. You still have, end up having various triggers, and so he had this stroke at 35 years old, um, and then ever since then, it's like he's been having like various crises that he didn't necessarily used to have when we were younger, um, and so. Sure. Just being able to see those, like, various, those differences um, as you're growing and as you're moving um, are things to pay attention to and to um, consider and to think about. But as I was saying, like, the biggest thing um, outside of the pain crisis and growing up is just people not believing you. You know what I'm saying? People not knowing um, the things that you're dealing with or that you're going through until it gets to the point where you're in the hospital. And then that's when people are able to see that you know what I mean, that pain or see the things that you're going, that you're dealing with. And so being able as a child, um, if you have teachers or, you know what I mean, have people within the community and stuff that understand what sickle cell is, um, then I feel like that's something that would be able to help people as they're growing up. Another thing is that people with sickle cell, they don't want to be seen as being weak. They don't want to be seen as having a problem or having an issue. And so sometimes, too, that kind of keeps them from, from sharing or letting people know when they're in pain as well. And so they end up dealing with a lot of these things by themselves because they don't want people to have to um, worry about them. And so they're thinking about those people that are, that care about them or that are, you know I mean, around them um, constantly. And so they want to make sure that they're fine. And so sometimes they deal with that pain or deal with those issues in silence as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, I'm troubled by the fact, uh, Mr. Gentleman, that, that educators, or your teacher did not believe uh, when you said, but I can't. Uh, and and I, I could hear in your voice, I could just hear you as a youngster saying to that educator, but I can't. Uh, you know, you have that, that really younger girl's voice when you, when you mm-hmm. laid that out. And so we have to educate our educators uh, mm-hmm. to all these various and sundry things that, uh, to show that our young students can't. And then I want to focus a little bit more about, uh, about the stigma. Uh, and it's really, uh, it's really interesting how so many stigmas uh, in the African-American community. I remember uh, when we were treating uh, breast cancer uh, patients, and, and we had 
patients that we found in we carried we carried our healthcare to the community and we found women in the third and fourth stages of breast cancer that did not tell anybody they kept it in the closet, so to speak. And so I'm, I'm just always curious as to why uh, after some African-Americans, not all, but some uh, think that there's a stigma behind sickle cell and cancer and some of the other illnesses. Have you ever heard why uh, black people look at a sickle cell as a stigma? Of course, we don't want to have it. Obviously, we don't want to have any disease. Things. Go ahead. Yeah, I know one of the things, just, parents, you know what I mean, growing up. And so like how you said um, earlier, um, one of the people on the um, on the call talked about how they have the trait, and then marrying somebody else that has the trait, has they have a higher likelihood of their child also having sickle cell. So I know growing That's up, my mom would tell me not to let people know that I had sickle cell because really? then that would, you know what I mean, like decrease my chances of meeting somebody and getting married, right? Oh, because, wow. yeah, I mean, people would see that as a negative thing on me that I have this disease, and then that would make them not want to be with me. Do you know what I'm saying? So, like, I I can see parents doing that with their children, and I feel like that might be a thing, too, that causes them. So, like, even if I'm, like, I remember growing up being in the hospital and my mom not telling, like, family members and not wanting anybody to know what was going on. And so I think that that's right. within the black community or even in the, African, in the African community where you don't want people to see, you know what I mean, like, those areas of weakness within your family or within you. And so, like, they see that as something that's a negative thing, and so they don't talk about it. Creates ah. mental anguish. Pastor mm-hmm. Cooper, I heard you. Go ahead. Creates mental anguish. Go ahead. Mental anguish. And I was just complimenting on what, what, what she's saying there because I was told to keep it a secret that I even had the trait of it because, like she's saying, you have to be careful who you marry, and, and then later on you talk about it. But, see, that, that's us not being educated in our own neighborhoods, in our yeah. own places. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah. so, I mean, you, you're talking about the coaches. You're talking about the, what about the parents? Because the parents probably didn't have, you know, uh, there were times where we had to go to the clinic. There were times that we didn't have insurance because we were self-employed, couldn't afford the insurance. So they had different people treating us with different issues and different things. Some people even got confused with the fact between having trait and, and, and being sickle, having sickle cell anemia. The, you know, they, they had to almost start all over. Every time you visit another doctor, like Dr. Hagman was saying earlier, if you don't have the continuity, consistency of having that, uh, a family physician that knows what's going on instead of being uh, treated by the ER or a clinic. Yeah. And that goes back to why I said that I started the Ruby Ball in the first place because a lot of the times, too, when people talk about sickle cell or you see it, you always see people that are in the hospital, you know what I mean, that are in their, you know what I mean, like in their sick bed. And so it's like it always, everything looks like from a place of, like, anguish, you know what I mean, and, like, pain and disease. And so, like, from that perspective, two people don't want to share. So I know, like, um, I was telling Renee, I, I lived out of the country for almost two years on a project for work. And so one of the big things for okay. people is, like, you don't want to, like, move out the country. Like, you don't want to do that or whatever. But it's like, at the end of the day, I still need to live my life, right? And uh, so when, while I was out there, though, like, um, I ended up um, finding out, some of them found out that I had sickle cell. And so they were like, you don't look like you have sickle cell because being in Africa, because the um, project that I had was in Africa, a lot of people, they mm-hmm. – were very sickly because they didn't have the type of culture that we have here in America, right? Correct. And so it's like Correct. one of those things where I actually ended up having an issue. Like I I had a crisis while I was out there, like 
thankfully, when I first went out there, the first crisis I had while I was out there, I was back in the I was back in the U.S. So I was able to go to the hospital in America. But the second time around, I had a crisis out there, and it was it got so bad I had to be lifelighted to South Africa, which is uh, one uh, of the things well, too, and part of why um, blood transfusions are very important because. I wouldn't have been able to get on that plane to go to South Africa if I didn't have a blood transfusion because my blood was so critically low that they didn't even want to put me on that flight. And so with me getting to South Africa, the doctor in South Africa said, if I didn't get there when I did, I would have died. Um, And so that's one of the biggest things, like thinking about it from that perspective, because even like while I was out there, the the nurse that, um, that was part of my company she didn't want me to get the blood transfusion because she was like, you don't know where the blood came from, like all of this type of stuff. But it was like a matter of life or death at that point, yeah. right, yeah. for my yeah. life. And so it's something that I needed to do um, for that moment to be able to get me to where where I'm at now. And so, like, people don't understand, like, that, you know I mean, that critical need for blood, it's very important. It's very, very right. important. Right. Absolutely. Well, listen, you have an amazing, amazing story. Can you tell us a little bit about what you did in South, in Africa? And I'm glad that you were able to go over to South Africa where the health care is much better over in South Africa. Yeah. There's, there's so lots yeah, so of money actually, in South Africa. Go ahead. So I actually was in Gabon. Um, I went out there for a project for um, my job. And so with me being out there, um, like I said, the healthcare was it was a totally different situation. So I tried my best to not to have to go to a hospital while I was out there. But then, how I said before, you never know when a crisis is going to come about. And so, right. it's like I did everything that I could in terms of making sure that I stayed hydrated, that I tried to reduce right. my stress as much as possible, that I wasn't right. doing things to try to exacerbate a crisis. Um, but yeah. I ended up getting a crisis. Like I had chest pain, and so I went to the doctor. Um, um, with chest pain to let them know my chest was hurting. And the doctor there, he was like, oh, so he told me, he asked me what I was eating, and he told me I had heartburn. He didn't do an x-ray. Yeah. He didn't do anything. He just told me I had heartburn and sent me home. Did you, tell, so him what, like, did you tell him what your diagnosis was? Yeah, he knew that. I, I told him that I had sickle cell, so they knew, but he didn't do an x-ray. Wait a minute, was you in America or was you in South America? Was this you in was America? In, in, uh, in, a- so in Africa. This was when I was in Africa. Like yeah, that's, no, that's what we were saying. So, yeah, this is what really I awesome. And so to make a long story short, it ended up getting worse. I ended up um, going into crisis where it affected. It started off in my legs, and then it went throughout my full body. Yeah. And so yeah. with that, I ended up, um, they eventually, like, after I went to the second hospital, because I was in the first hospital, they weren't, I wasn't getting the type of care that I needed at that hospital. Um, so mm-hmm. the, I was I had friends that were worked for the U.S. Embassy. They were able to send me to another hospital. Um, when I got to that hospital, they took my vitals one time when I first went um, when I first went in before they put me in the room. Once I was in the room, they didn't take my vitals anymore. And then it just wow. got worse and worse. And then my mom asked about my vitals, and that's what made them take my vitals. I think I was in there by that was like the fifth day that I was in the hospital. And then oh they finally goodness. did an X-ray. And yeah, they finally wow. did an X-ray, and that's when they saw that um, I had. Um, that's when they saw that I had like pneumonia and all kinds of things were going on, and so that's when the wow. my um, my like I said, my blood level was very very low, and that's when they decided that okay, they need to get me out of that area. But one of the things right. that I want to point out uh, while I was telling this story is that if I didn't work for the company that I worked for, 
um, and didn't have the medical care that I had because of where I came from, then, I, you know what I mean, I would have ended up being there and it would have gotten worse, you know what I mean, to the point of death like the um, doctor in South Africa said. But so there are many people that live, you know what I mean, within that country who have these issues and they don't end up being able to get that le- next level of care um, sure. because they don't have those people that are advocating for them and they don't have the money to be able to, you know what I mean, like get to some place where they can get better care or be life-sighted somewhere else. Very good. Very good. Well, let me ask you a question. Go ahead. Uh Real quick, I was going to ask you a question. How how did you handle uh, with your jobs? Did you try to hide it from your employers? Because I've been counseling a young lady since she was a teenager now working and that was an issue with her growing up. How do you handle that with your employees? Is that something you hide or is that something you share? It's something that as I've gotten older, like I said, I'm 38 years old, I share it. Um, initially, I would hide it um, just, again, because I don't want people to see me um, from a place of weakness or feel that I'm trying to, you know what I mean, like seek favors or, like, you know what I mean, seek preferential, preferential treatment. Um, but as I've gotten older, I've um, realized that that's something that I do need to let them um, know, and they've been very understanding. So I've been blessed to be able to have employers um, that have been understanding with me being in the hospital whenever I go into crisis um, and trying to, like, even because the type of person that I am, I'll still be trying to work and stuff, and they're like, no, like, that can wait, right? Like, you don't have to worry yeah. about that right now. And so I've been, they've been very understanding about that. But that's one of the things that I've been um, open to, like, sharing now as I've gotten older and as I've become, tried to become more of an advocate um, for the disease, I started to be very much open about it. And then one of the things, too, that I wanted to share was I know, like, when people are applying for jobs, you know how they have that um, piece where they ask about um, if you have any type of, um, like, med- like I forgot what it specifically they ask or whatever, but I've, that's one of the things also that I've heard that you should, that is something that you should also, like, put on there. It's not anything that's going to go to the employer initially, um, but it should always be, like, in your records just in case something happens for the future, you know? So that you've, um, that you've marked down, um, that you've marked that down for yourself. Very good. Yeah, that's for disability, yeah. So putting that down in terms of a disability, because they don't, you don't necessarily see it as that. So you'll see, like, in there, they'll have, like, cancer, they'll have, like, diabetes, they'll have different stuff to say, like, okay, do you have this with sickle cells not on that list of things? Because, again, a lot of people don't know what sickle cell is, so letting them, being able to write that in and put that down so that you have that um, just in case you may need some type of um, care for the future. Very good. Well, I don't know yeah. if um, Ms. Renee or you would um, would like to share with our audience as to how we can get involved and where they can go to do their blood drives and, uh, yeah. and your blood drive that's coming down the pipe. And I think we're supposed to talk about that the next, the next show uh, because we yeah. want you to come on Thursday as well on our Thursday show because you're going to be in East Texas, working in East Texas and working to make sure that, uh, that we work hand-in-hand uh, hand with the empowerment group uh, where uh, Stanley Kofor actually serves as the, uh, the president of that group. And uh, so tell us how we can reach out to you or anything that you want mm-hmm. us to know about uh, in regards to uh, yeah, how we can connect us. And do our yeah. part. As Renee shared, we have a blood drive coming up with the American Red Cross um, this 
up this Friday, um, which is September 3rd. Um, and so that's one way that you can um, try to support. Just as you said, we need people in the community to come out and give blood. It doesn't take up a lot of your time. Um, there's been a lot of different precautions that have been put in place to help um, to make sure that that people are safe as they're giving blood. Um, so that's one thing to, like, note and to be able to know. And then also I know a lot of people, like, before felt that they couldn't give blood if they have the trait, um, but it has people have shared that you can give blood if you have the trait. Renee, if you could, like, confirm that for me as well. But I know that that's something um, that I recently found out, that if you have the trait, you can still give blood. Um and then the other thing is, um, in terms of staying connected, as Renee shared, we have an Instagram. It's called The Ruby Ball. And so you can go on there to learn additional information about anything that we may be doing um, or things that may be coming up or just learn more about um, sickle cell just in general. Um, and then if you want to volunteer for some of the things that we have going on as well, um, you can reach out to us at hello at therubyball.org. Um, so that you can try to um, support or help in any way possible, too. And so just continuing to just be open. If you have family members that have sickle cell, um, letting them know that you're an advocate um, and just being able to share whatever information that you receive um, so that people know that it's, it's nothing to be ashamed of at the end of the day. And I feel like that's the biggest thing to get out there, that if people stop seeing it as something, um, as a stigma, and, you know what I mean, like having people that, or living with sickle cell feel as though it's something they should be ashamed of because people don't want to talk about it or people see it in a negative light, then that will help us to be able to get bring more awareness around the disease. And then with us bringing more awareness around the disease, we can create more support. Yeah. And for me, and for me, as Go the ahead, Red Cross, mm-hmm. yes, and for me as the Red Cross representative, ways that you can help certainly is to, immediately find a blood drive that you can donate your blood. Um, But also I am needing ongoing support from the community organizations, businesses, churches, again, um, black organizations within the community where there's large numbers where you have access to people in our community to actually partner with me to help build a blood program. In order to have your own blood drive, you need to be able to recruit a total of about 45 people to actually have a blood drive. If you have numbers less than that, then I certainly would want to work with you and maybe pair you with another organization. Like I said, in East Tyler, what we're looking to do is connect as many organizations as we can. I want to work with those who are the influencers in the community. I I know sometimes there's a difference between leader and influencer. So sometimes the leader isn't necessarily the influencer. The influencer are the people that we want on the ground that's actually educated. I will work to help educate you and bring all the awareness about blood donation and sickle cell so that I can mobilize you to help spread this message and the need and to be a partner with me. Um, my email address, if you're interested and want more information, is Renee, and I spell Renee, R-E-N-A, dot Witherspoon at redcross.org. And my phone number is 214-532-9186. 
I had to unmute. I'm just talking to myself. That is outstanding, <laughs> ladies. Uh, I really, really appreciate This has been amazing to have you all. I thought that we need the whole entire two hours uh, tonight to talk about. <laughs> I told Ms. Renee, said, how long? And I said, okay, what, 30, 40 minutes, and we'll, we'll cover the first hour. Uh, but it sounds like we just got started. It's just been tremendous, and we thank all the team members for uh, their insight and, and their uh, added uh, experience and education uh, with uh, with this particular uh, disease process. Uh, with Dr. Hagney mentioned that he actually wrote one of his papers uh, on um, mm-hmm. on sickle cell. And I thought that's outstanding, and that was back when he was in pharmacy school. And so, uh, so this is this is a beautiful thing, and we have to take care of our own community. And we know that yeah. that the, the blood from an African American to an African African American is much better uh, in treating this uh, specific in treating all diseases, but in particularly uh, sickle cell anemia. And so, uh, so we thank you guys so much. I don't know if the team members have any other comments or uh, suggestions or anything. Uh, Mr. Arthur, there was uh, outstanding comments that you made about uh, helping to get this, disseminate that marketing information out there uh, to our community. And, and then uh, obviously from the mental health. Go ahead, Mr. Arthur. Go ahead. I just want to tell to, to, to our, uh, remember, Dr. Hagney said, you know, just just come to, hey, Dr. Hagney, he told me to call you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sir, throw, yeah. throw, throw those names out there, huh? I'm definitely, yeah. I'm, I'm a good name dropper, and I thank you so much for be, being able to be among such an esteemed group. I, I so appreciate this opportunity. Well, it, it's, been, it's been our pleasure, and I think, Dr. Hagney, that is your – that's the school that you attended pharmacy school, isn't it? Unmute Dr. Dr. Hagney and speak to us. I think Southern there in Houston, the pharmacy yeah. school, I always tell people best pharmacy school in the state of Texas, but they are a major partnership with the University of Houston down there, the medical school and community. So I would, again, you can use my name down there, but the research you want to do, <laughs> yes, that's very important there in Houston. I'm impressed with the University of Houston Medical School, what they're doing as far as reaching out into the uh, minority community in Houston there. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I, I had the distinct pleasure of actually training there at MD Anderson and that, and the school and the, um, the hospitals there. So they, they do amazing work uh, down there in Houston, Texas. They're noted for in that, uh, in that medical center area from one, one hospital to the next hospital to the next hospital. So we thank you, ladies, for coming on, and you can come back to see us at any time. And we look forward to your coming in on Thursday uh, because for the simple fact that you're going to be doing some work in East Texas, and that, that actually that station and that network is right in the heart of East Texas and right here in Tyler, Texas. Absolutely. I'm sorry, were you sick? Yes. Anything else that you'd like to share? It's 9.55. We have about four minutes before we bring Ms. Rihanna back in, and we're going to end our show. But I'm, I'm just really happy to see uh, the work that's, that's being done on sickle cell. Uh, I've, I've seen so many patients in crisis. So, and then it's just, it's just so refreshing to see how 
where medicine has come and where it is now in regards to the treatment of sickle cell anemia. But we still got a ways to go, right? We still need we, need, we still need to raise more money. Yeah, put more money and Dr. into Kelvin? sickle cell. Yes, sir. Go ahead. I just want to jump in there before we get off the show. I want to challenge the other hand I wear as a pastor. I want to challenge all the pastors in East Texas or all the way down in Southeast Texas and up East Texas is to do a blood drive once a year. We do that at our church. Six Cell is just one of many things. So I thank the lady from Red Cross. Didn't grab her name uh, because I wasn't on the first hour, but I had to talk to you. We need to do the blood drives. The other thing is that when I finished up the master's in, in uh, psychology and also uh, working on a Ph.D. and, and doctoral program, everything goes back to faith. Anyone that had a faith life, a religious life, now mine is that of Jesus Christ, had a 10% or 12% increase of success rate of healing and coping with this in a better state. So that's all I have. Now, you, now yeah. let me just tell you, Pastor Cooper, you just finished outlining my dissertation. <laughs> because, uh, my, my, you just did, let, can I share really quickly, and then I'm going to uh, have the final comments from uh, Ms. Renee, and she can tell you all of her name and information. But when I did my dissertation at the University of Texas College of Nursing, and, and we studied breast cancer patients, and I would go into their rooms and I would give them their medication. And then I go to the next room and I give her her medication and then I give her some spiritual support and encouragement and talk to her about that she could overcome and, and, and just giving her a lot of good mental health uh, suggestions and yeah. just working with her from the spiritual aspect. And those quantitatively, and those ladies that we talked to about spirituality excelled and did so well. And those that we just came by and dropped in their pill and took off, you could see the vast difference. That was my dissertation, uh, Pastor Cooper. And thank you for that. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that. You get the final comments, Ms. Renee. It's been a pleasure yeah. to have you on with us tonight. Give, give so the Pastor yeah. Cooper then missed your first name at the beginning and when you will be coming into East Texas. And by the way, he's in Beaumont, Texas. Go ahead. Yes, wonderful. So once again, I thank you so much for having me. It is a privilege and an honor to be the regional sickle cell account manager for the American Red Cross for North Texas. Um, I am, again, just very passionate about what I'm doing to be able to exclusively be able to work with my community for such a, such a critical need. Um, my email address, again, I spell Renee, R-E-N-A, dot Witherspoon, W-I-T-H-E-R-S-P-O-O-N, at redcross.org. If you're wanting to work to help me in this endeavor by hosting a blood drive, please reach out. Um, our goal in working in East Texas, particularly in the Tyler community, is we want to at least minimally schedule a blood drive every quarter. However, we can have a blood drive every 56 days. You can donate blood every 56 days, so it would be wonderful if we can build a program where people can regularly donate because the worst thing we can do is have people donate and then they don't have anywhere to go 
after they've donated that one time. So ideally, if we can work to build a program where there is a blood drive there every 56 days so that people can um, establish a habit of donating blood, a lifelong habit of donating blood. Thank you. Very good. That's outstanding. And then we have we stu- we have Stewart uh, Blood uh, Center here in Tyler that will take your blood anytime. So thank you, ladies, so much. Miss Ujima, thank you so much for being on with us tonight. We look forward to you ladies coming and joining us on our Thursday show uh, at our noon to 1 o'clock show. Tune in uh, with us. You already have that information at 1215 and so that we can continue uh, what we're doing, and we may have uh, Pastor Stanley Colford to phone in uh, as well during the time that you call in to our show. Thank you, gentlemen. It's always a pleasure to be right here on Monday night, on Marvelous Monday. Uh, remember to be safe out there. I remember uh, Dr. Hagney and, and our team, the task force, is working really hard to put shots in arms. Uh, the COVID-19 Delta variant is combing our country, Coleman, East Texas, and we have to work to mitigate so that we can save the lives of our people in our community. Thank you. May God bless you. We'll see you next time, guys. I'm sorry we ran out of time, and so we bring Ms. Rihanna to end our show. Thank you, Ms. Rihanna. Uh, We'll turn it over to you. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. Thanks. Good night, Rihanna. Good night. Good night. One day when the glory comes it will be out, it will be out, oh, one day, when the war is won, we will be sure, we will be sure, oh, no, glory, glory, oh, the heavens no man no weapon formed against yes glory is destined everyday women and men become legends sins that go against our skin become blessings the movement is a rhythm to us freedom is like religion to us Justice is juxtaposition in us. Justice for all just ain't specific enough. One son died, his spirit is revisiting us. True and living, living in us. Resistance is us. That's why Rosa sat on the bus. That's why we walk through Ferguson with our hands up. When it goes down, we woman and man up. They say stay down and we stand up. Shots be on the ground. The camera panned up. King pointed to the mountaintop and we ran up. One day when the glory comes, it will be out. It will be out. Oh, one day when the war is won, we will be Now the war is 
for every man, woman, and child. Even Jesus got his crown in front of a crowd. They march with the torch, we gon' run with it now. Never look back, we done gone hundreds of miles. From dark roads, heroes, to become a hero. Facing the league of justice, his power was the people. Enemy is lethal, a king became regal. Saw the face of Jim Crow under a ball ego. The biggest weapon. It's to stay peaceful, we sing Our music is the cuts that we bleed through Somewhere in the dream we had an epiphany Now we right the wrongs in history No one can win the war individually It takes the wisdom of the elders and young people's energy Welcome to the story we call victory The coming of the Lord, my eyes have seen the glory One day when the glory comes 